You're listening to the Fantasy Wildcard Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fantasy Wildcard Dynasty Show. I'll be your host this week, Ali. You can follow me on Twitter or at on X, should we say? I don't know what Oof. it is now. <laughs> at, <laughs> at FF Dynasty Grill. And with me as always is my amazing, beautiful co-host Kev. You can follow on Twitter, we're going to say, at Dynasty underscore Goat. How you doing tonight, Kev? Well, Ali, I'm doing all right, actually. Yeah, um, been a little bit under the weather, which uh, has been a shame because it's summer. But um yeah, it's, just, it's a great time of the year. Got all the characters coming to a close. Final draft started. Also in um, a couple of dynasty starts, dynasty best ball league with our, um, um, our guest today as well. So that that's going to be a fun to see how that pans out in time. But yeah, just um, this this time last year I had COVID, so I missed this show with this guest. So um, I'm sure tonight's show will make up for that. It'll be the perfect remedy to get me back on track. How about you, Ali? Yeah, I'm also under the weather, but um, getting through it with plenty of drafts right now. There's still plenty of charity drafts going on. Um, not in a startup, but I'm commissioning a startup, which is really entertaining. Um, but yeah, feeling really good, and I'm excited for tonight's show. Um, yeah, we'll, so we'll, we'll get straight on with um, our guest here. It's a best ball writer over at Fantasy Pros and an amazing co-host at the, the amazing Fantasy Sanctuary. So go check him out on YouTube. So we give a warm wildcard return to the man, the myth, the legend. It is Tom Strachan, who you can follow on Twitter at NFL underscore T Strack. Tom, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. You know, it's great to be back on with you guys. It was great seeing you both at the UKFFC a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, I think this might be second, third year in a row we've done this show now, talking about Dynasty Best Ball and yeah, I can't think of a podcast I'd like on more at this time of year and people I'd like to be chatting more about fantasy football with. Absolutely nailed it. Yep. Cannot wait to have you on tonight um, and talking all things Dynasty Best. But again, it's still a format that I've not involved um, enough in. So hopefully you're going to persuade me to, to join another Best Ball startup before the start of the season. So yeah, on tonight's show, we'll be talking all things Dynasty Best Ball. So we're going to include players to buy and sell in this format. So um, Kev, you got a question to start it off for, Tom? Yeah, we'll, ju- we'll just give a bit of background to the audience for anyone that's not familiar with the format and um, sort of give you a bit of a rundown as to what is the, the strategy and tips which are useful in this format and then also why we need to play more of these type of leagues. So I, I guess that the first question, the simple question um, is, Tom, what is Dynasty Best for? Yeah, so Dynasty Best Ball, it just removes all that weekly lineup setting. You know, like traditional best ball, every week the system is looking at what your optimal lineup is out of the players available on your roster. And it takes all the stress of having to set the lineup. And, you know, we were talking before the show about a final which I beat Kevin, where I had Mike <laughs> Evans and I had chose to start him. But in Dynasty Best Ball, you eliminate those worries and, you know, those players who you perhaps feeling a little lukewarm on and you can't bring yourself to, to drop them in, drops them in for you. I think what we've kind of found from Dynasty Best Ball over the last few years is it's finding the right balance of managed and being able to sit back because one of the great things about them is not needing to manage them as 
routinely as you do with leagues where you're setting lineups every week. So typically in the leagues I commission, I think you're pretty similar, Kev. It's like you'll have a waiver run before the start of a season, then every four weeks during the season, and then maybe one during the off season. And in a lot of my leagues, I've ballooned the roster sizes up during the off season to let people stash more players. And then a week or so before the league starts, people are forced to cut down, which makes for an entertaining wave run at that point. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a lot of fun. It's an easy way to add more leagues without going, okay, what am I going to do on a Sunday evening or Sunday morning when I've got to set all these lineups? That's the league which I just skim over when I'm selecting all my leagues where I've got issues. Love it. Personally, I've ticked over the 20 league mark again on for dynasty league so uh, <laughs> it is an absolute mad sunday mornings trying to set all them line up so i need to jump into more dynasty best balls um yeah um so tom what is the key strategy and is there any tips that you can share with us to do well in these dynasty best ball leagues so i think the biggest point is to approach it more like dynasty than you would best ball obviously in best ball in big tournaments like Best Ball Mania or DraftKings Millie Maker, you're shooting to compete against oh, maybe you know hundreds, thousands of people at a time. Whereas in a Dynasty Best Ball League, you're only competing against 11 people. You don't need those complete moonshot players to be on your roster all the time if they're taking lots of zeros. So I definitely approach it more like Dynasty. But some of the key differences is that if you're a contender, you need to make sure you have a roster of players who are playing. You can't be carrying injured players. You can't be carrying players who, you know, aren't performing well. You want to make sure that if you have to trade a player like, you know, say like Brees Hall last year, trade him for somebody a little bit lower, like a tier of player who isn't as good long term. But if you can package it in a way which gives you good value and then you got somebody like, I don't know, say like a Joe Mixon or Alvin Kamara, who at least you knew was going to be playing and would keep your roster alive. That's definitely big. In terms of stacking, that's a question I get quite often about this. And I think <clears throat> typically in startups, I'm aiming to stack quarterbacks and pass catchers who are tied together for a long time. So, you know, think of the players who they're not going to change teams like your Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. Yeah, you know, Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews, players who've been tied together through big contracts or rookies who are at the start of their career and got good draft capital and that you can have good faith in the fact that you've probably got two or three years, which is the kind of window we talk about playing within anyway, where those two are going to be stacked. And yeah, generally, as you go through the draft then, I might be more tempted to pick up like Tyler Higby if I've got Matthew Stafford because then you just, you know, if Tyler Higby's having a good season, there's a good chance for most of his points coming through passing touchdowns. He's very unlikely to suddenly start rushing him. And that's going to just add to that little stack a bit. But I definitely don't overstack in Dynasty Best Ball. Whereas if you watch some of my Best Ball draft streams, you know, you might see me stacking four or five players from the same team together. Yeah, I think you make some cracking points there as to the strategy and um, a lot of those points you've shared over time and I've took these on board in, in uh, my dance to best ball leagues as well so great for you to share that and then I guess I, I've moved towards more dance to best ball leagues for obvious reasons which you touched upon a little bit there but I guess my, my question is around why why would a dynasty player want to play more dance to best ball leagues why should they be playing more dynasty best ball leagues and adding that to their portfolio 
I think one of the fun things for like fantasy football in general is it's fun to diff- play different formats, isn't it? Like, you know, very few people I know play just redraft or just dynasty or just best ball. Like, I do know some people who do that, but the majority of us, like, we all enjoy these different formats and. Dynasty best ball is something which perhaps quite a few people still haven't played, and it's nice. And for reasons we talked about before, not having to set your lineups is great. But it's also fun for the weeks where, let's say, you were a massive, I don't know, like, let's take James Prochet, player who I picked up a bit of stick for taking the camp hype last year. But let's say James Prochet, he's been on your roster week in, week out, and then he pops up with like a 30 point haul at one point, or like, you know, like Marcus Valdez Scandling, these players who can be boom or bust, but when they really boom, it can be get, just deliver you a weak winning performance. So those are the players that in normal redraft or normal dynasty managed leagues, they're tricky to start. Look at Cole Komet last year, you know, he had a complete miserable season and then exploded for like two or three weeks in a row. But you definitely didn't start in the first week where he exploded because before that he'd averaged like barely any points for a couple of weeks. <clears throat> and then the week after he exploded, did you have faith in him to start him then? Because it was very easy to see that he could regress back to what he did before that, but then he gave, gave you another great performance. So dynasty best ball, it just takes away those headaches. You can, you can, know, you can say, Oh yeah, I was right about this. This is exactly what I expected. And nobody can prove you wrong because you didn't have to worry about actually clicking the star or drop button. Yeah. I think, I think as well, just like if you play in a number of leagues, it's the maintenance the fact that you're, you're doing your, your four waiver runs in the leagues you run and your trades that you can pick up and choose as when you go. So I think, Anyone playing a high number of leagues should be taking on more dynasty best ball than pure dynasty, in my eyes. Hundred percent. And personally, for me, I like to think that I'm a good drafter from rounds maybe twelve through to eighteen, twenty. And in dynasty, they're the players that, as you as you touched on there, Tom, it's difficult to start in in any given game unless there's injuries. But um, in dynasty best ball, obviously, that takes that away you're able to show your ability that you can draft a, a full roster and then have players that that can help you win weeks from that you wouldn't normally start so that's personally why i like it so yeah we'll move on to the the, the start section we're going to move on to tom's buys so tom we're going to start at the quarterback selection so who's your first dynasty best ball buy so yeah i'm buying geno smith like i'm pretty confident in geno smith and that he's going to be good for a longer period than people are possibly expecting him to be. Like, I think you look at what the Seahawks have done. You look at those offensive weapons, and there's an argument that you know a year from now we could be talking about them as like up there in the best wide receiver trios in the league. Um, last year he finished as the QB eight in points per game, and since then they've upgraded weapons. You know, if you're playing on a two to three year window, Gino got enough of a contract where I think you can have enough faith in him. Last year, he was seventh best in QB rating, had the third most big time throws. He was 11th in passing EPA, which is an efficiency metric, and he was first in completion rate. So it's like no matter what you look at, Gino had a really solid season. You look at the weapons he's got now, and Jackson Smith and Jigba can be exactly the kind of player who's going to be great for him. So, yeah, I think if you're talking about a late first, maybe a second plus a little bit of sugar on top, like 
that's a price I'd be willing to pay for two or three years of what I'm expecting to be pretty fruitful fantasy performances. Yeah, I think you've nailed it. I think personally my outlook on Dynasty has changed the last couple of years where I was tending to have a bit of a bigger, larger window, um, but I've tended to try and narrow it down. So I'm only focused on the next couple of years. Um, and if you're talking about a quarterback, you can draft, as you mentioned, fairly cheap for that price that can come in as your quarterback too. But finishes with quarterback one numbers, Geno Smith absolutely fits that bill. And as you mentioned, the weapons that he's got now with Jackson Smith and Jigba, fallen to pick, what, 20 in the draft, um, was a bit of a shock to me. Fantastic wide receiver. They're going to find ways to get all three of those wide receivers on the field. I've got no doubt about that. Um, so, yeah, the, the ceiling for Geno Smith is easily as high as it was last year. So it's a great um, guy to go after and still um, attainable at that price. Yeah, Tom, he comes on, griefs me, and then he saves himself with the Geno Smith love. I mean, um, Geno's one of my most on QBs in Dynasty. Um, I think everything you said is spot on. A lot of it's to his situation, the fact that the weapons are immense. Last season, he was so efficient, like, um, complete percentage might have been like all time record or close to it. I know that there was talk of that. Um, but yeah, I think as well. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be as accurate this season, but you see the weapons have been improved. He had 366 rushing yards with one touchdown. So you'd like to think if that just comes up a little bit, say four, that's going to give him room to to go either way, I guess, um, and sort of make, make up the points that way. Um, back to his rookie season when he was back at the Jets, he had 366 yards and six rushing touchdowns. So if he went all the way back there, that's that's Matt mega points in it. It's 30, thirty fantasy points on your on your league, um, nearly two points a game. So yeah, um, I love Geno Smith. I think he's great. QB twenty one. I'm very much fair at that. I, I maybe I'm a little bit higher in certain situations, and in this particular format, it makes him really appealing because you've got several stack options on the back of it. Yep, completely agree. And I think there's still. Um, a few people out there that just saying maybe was it was it just a one season wonder? Um, can he can he bounce back and play at the same level as he did last year? So um, especially with the contract as well, some people have got question marks there, um, which I think why is keeping him at quarterback twenty one. But for me, he's definitely higher in my ranking. So um, a great quarterback to target. Move on to the running back position. So Tom, who is your running back buy for Dynasty Best Ball? I'm buying Smashy P Ryan, and this isn't about Giovanni Williams' health in particular. You know, I think that plays a big part in it, and he's somebody that all off season I've been trying to pick up, and you know, it's been tricky because when there was reports that perhaps Giovanni Williams could miss this entire season, people who had Smashy P Ryan weren't definitely looking to move him on. But now that Giovanni Williams is avoiding pup, or you know doing better than expected. I think it's opened a good buy window. <clears throat> and you look at where Smadja P. Ryan came from. He came from the Bengals, a Super Bowl contending team, and they offered him the exact same contract as the Broncos did, but he chose to go to the Broncos because Sean Payton personally pitched him on how he likes to use two running backs. And you go back over his last 15 seasons in New Orleans, he was always looking for two running backs to be used consistently. Like when he paired Alvin Kamara with Mark Ingram between like 2017 and 2018, or Latavius Murray for like 2019 to 2020, 
Kamara never really saw a huge amount of touches more than the backup. They were quite often near to identical. Yes, Kamara was able to turn them into more fancy points because he was explosive, because he saw the high value passing down work. But P. Ryan's a player that I think can be a free down running back, particularly if Giovanni Williams struggles. Like we saw how good P. Ryan was last last year. You know, he was more efficient than Joe Mixon with 4.2 yards per carry to Mixon's 4.0. 26 missed tackles to Mixon's 33, but on 110 fewer attempts. And also in yards per reception, P. Ryan had 7.6 compared to Mixon's 7.3. So part of that is just a ding on Joe Mixon, who's starting to look a bit washed at this point in his career. But it's also, you know, we can buy in Smaj P. Ryan. We can believe that there's a decent ceiling there. And even if Giovanni Williams is healthy, why is Samaji Piran not going to get a healthy amount of touches when Broncos aggressively pursued him in free agency? Yeah, again, to all of this pick, Samaji Piran's a, a guy that we talked about in our sleeper show. Um, so I actually saw a debate last night on, on Twitter, a guy we've had on our show before, David Gautier, who was basically arguing for Samaji Piran. And he was going on about like the, three, the two and a half games that he played where Mixon missed. 30.2 fancy points, 19.3 fancy points, 21.5 fancy points, uh, four touchdowns in those three games, four plus receptions in those three games. Javante's hurt, you've got Sean Payton, you've just adding all that together, you've got a potential running back one for those couple of weeks that maybe Javante might isn't firing, or if it becomes half a season, the majority of the season. I can see that happening. I think there's a massive possibility that P. Ryan outscores Javante this season. So, uh, I'm totally there with you. I think, like you mentioned, he's a three-down guy. He can pass block, pass catch. He could do more for size, if I'm honest, because he's a big dude and he doesn't run as fierce as he could. But he's been around the league. He's stuck around for a while. And like you said, he was on a, a potential Super Bowl contender last season. He chose to come this route for, for more playing time. The other thing on Piran as well is I think at the moment there's a lot of uncertainty in the running back landscape with holdouts and you saw Jonathan Taylor has to be traded the other night as well. I think for these owners that have got maybe a question mark for the running back one, rather than panic sell and selling an, an amazing asset like Taylor at a low price, I'd be more likely to go and buy P. Ryan for what a third rounder or something along those lines. And then you've got that flexibility to when Taylor picks up his value again. You've got more options that way. So he's a, he's a cheap alternative to keep you ticking while on your contending teams. Yeah, you're both smart guys, really. P. Ryan is someone that I've been extremely interested in. And at RB47, I mean, how many running backs that are going amongst where he's going have the freedom capability and have an opportunity to start the season as the running back one? Well, not many. So um, I can only see his value going up the first half of the season, certainly. I can't see Javante Williams taking on a big workload early on. They're going to be careful with him when they've got P. Ryan for that role. Um, so I absolutely love the pick. I can only see his value um, increasing. Um, and then perhaps you can you can move him on or you've got the certainty of having a guy that's going to be featured even when Javante's back at full speed. So, um, yeah, really like that. I think the Broncos certainly do some... Um, some upgrades and their, their offense is going to be better than it was last year. We just need the P. Ryan Tyler Beatty combo. We'll 
we'll move on to the wide receiver. And this is a guy who's also trying to bounce back for this season. Yeah, so Debo Samuel, and we're getting such a discount on his former pricing. You know, this time a year ago, it was like wide receiver five. It was like, you know, no matter where you looked at rankings, pretty much, we were talking about a player who was viewed as a top five wide receiver because of his rushing ability, because of everything else. Now you go look at wide receiver rankings, he's down to like 28. I've seen places where he's fallen outside the top 30. And then, okay, you look back, what's affected that over that period? Okay, yes, the Niners added CMC, but when they added CMC, Debo's touches went from 8.0 per game down to 7.8. So you're talking like a marginal difference. And that was whilst he was dealing with injuries. We know he had a contract dispute last year, which he's talked about. He felt he came into the season underprepared because of it. The team went from Trey Lance to Jimmy G to Brock Purdy. So it wasn't a smooth season. But when he was healthy, when everyone was healthy, Debo led the team in target share. Like George Kill was at the bottom, and we'll get to him a little bit later. But talking about like what Debo did in targets per route running the five games of Brock Purdy, CMC, and Debo played together. Samuel had 0.26, CMC 0.23, Ayuk and Kill 0.19. So like he was maximizing the stuff that he did get. And yeah, I think that we could be looking back a year from now and going, man, we really missed the boat on Debo because we've seen him be a league winner before. We see that they designed so many matchups for him, particularly against man coverage. We see that they designed so many touches and that he's in the first read so often. Why would we not hire on him after a season where we knew that he'd had a difficult off-season? And I started the off-season kind of out on Debo and it's taken smarter people than me talking about all these little things and little moments and bits that have come together to kind of piece it together and go, okay, well, actually, when you kind of deep dive stats and everything, everything looks really positive and I'm really betting on him to have a really good season. Yeah, I mean, exactly the same lines as you, Tom. I've been vocal on this show saying that I very much rate Brandon Ayuk higher than than Debo Samuel in in Dynasty. But the the, the fact that Ayuk has just risen so much in value to a point where it's it's a little bit too high and it's gone the the, the other way. And Debo Samuel is so much more of a value right now. I'm I'm sort of tilting back the other way of Debo Samuel. Um, and then you look at the stats that you've given there. Factor in. Brock Purdy as well. We know that he's coming back from that elbow injury. Is he going to have to be able to to throw deep very often? Um, Debo Samuel was the perfect guy um, that's going to take the ball on the line of scrimmage or between sort of five to ten yards out and and just have that that yak ability. Um, so I think Debo Samuel was actually in for a big year this year. And wide receiver twenty seven. Yeah, I can certainly see that um, creeping up with with what we know his ceiling can be. Um, because of that what wide receiver, what was it, three finish he had a couple of seasons ago? Yeah, I, I'm not 100% there on Debo in respect of Brock Purdy. Still a question mark for me. Uh, um, I've been quite low on him in the sense of you've got Debo, McCaffrey, Ayuk, Kittle. Someone's not going to hit their ADP. And it's guessing who. It could be Debo, it could be Kittle, it could be Ayuk. Um, it, I think CMC is pretty... But you're all right, but um, all, what I will say is Debo is a better fit for me in this format than your regular Dynasty because you are going to have head eight weeks right, where you play him in Dynasty and he, the, the gout from early lead, he's not part of a few explosive plays and then just milking it down. So I like him better in this format than Dynasty. 
I think, like you say, his value compared to where it has been does make him a value as such. But um, it, it's the volatility that does scare us to what that offence will be, what it will look like as well. Um, I, I think... think it's, it's like Bananas in general. The pass catchers are going to be a headache this year. And for Dynasty Best Ball, you do kind of remove that. But yeah, I think all, all the signs of me point towards Debo being that kind of guy. I mean, you know, he was the wide receiver one on first reads of target share last year, like 25%. Ayuk was just... It was Debo is the design player. I think Brandon Ayuk has this huge ceiling that if perhaps he was on a different offense, we could absolutely see unlocked. But yeah, it's just kind of hard to gauge which of these Niners players is going to pop off for a big week. Yeah, and I just think with with Debo in that range, a lot of it will come down to what your first two wide receivers look like that you've taken on your first three or your first one, however you're building your roster. I think volatility, you can embrace it more in, in Dynasty Best Ball. Um, but let's say... You've got, I don't know, Quentin Johnston and Jameson Williams uh, or guys like that. Quentin Johnston and Christian Watson will say that above him in ADP. Would you want to take a deep in that respect? Maybe because it's Dynasty Best Ball, but um, I, I do think, um, yeah, just there'll be certain scenarios where he's more appealing, especially if you're a big fan like Ali and you've got Brock Purdy in every league. I was about to say, come on, I need to get you believing more in Brock Purdy, Kev, going forwards. <laughs> You'll you'll see you'll soon see the the powers of, of Brocky. <laughs> but perhaps we'll move on to the tight end, where we certainly I think we're all going to agree on this this dynasty buy. Yeah. So Juwan Johnson, and it just feels like you know if a tight end went out there and scored the third most touchdowns amongst the position, normally that's a player who we'd spend the next off season hyping up. I mean, like you know. You think about who we've hyped up as a community over the last few years, players like Cole Komet, and then Jerron Johnson goes out and only scores less touchdowns than Travis Kelsey and George Kill, at the same time as dealing with Taysom Hill in the offense, which obviously he's still got to do. But I think this is the better in best ball type play because there will be weeks on that Saints offense where it's Taysom Hill or there'll be weeks where Chris Olave steals the show. But we've seen Derek Carr lean into his tight end position at times. You know, Andy Dalton really did seem to connect with Jawan Johnson. But Jawan Johnson didn't have a really great run of things last year. You know, he ranked 47th in catchable target rate amongst tight ends with 20-plus targets. Meanwhile, Darren Waller, who was playing with Derek Carr, ranked 11th. You know, you can make an argument that Jawan Johnson is going to be touchdown reliant in the games where he didn't score touchdowns, he averaged 4.8 PPR points, which isn't fantastic. But at cost with Juwan Johnson, the hype has never really pushed him up. You know, you're talking tight end 23. Tight end 22 is Irv Smith, who has done the sum total of F all. <laughs> Meanwhile, you know, and I know that we all love these rookie tight ends who've come in, but like, you know, I wrote an article for Underdog earlier this year talking about how rookie tight ends, on average, like, 75% of them don't manage to score six half PPR points on average per game through the rookie season. So if I feel like there's even a chance I could contend, going out and giving up, what, like the 302, the 303 for Juwan Johnson, who we've seen be productive and we've seen be a weapon in the red zone, I'll, I'll do that all day. 
God, I love this pick. Joanne Johnson, what a guy like. <laughs> just everything you've said resonates with me. Um, touchdowns, people will will stick the hat on that and say, oh, well, it's a lot of spiritual touchdowns. Uh, look at tight ends that do anything, like outside the top six, but it's because they get touchdowns. So it, it is what it is. There's clear connections between how Kai use Waller and um, that Waller's a guy that's obviously a big, big fast dude like John Johnson. He, he used to be a wide receiver, so I think that he's he's still got room to grow uh, into the, the role itself. Um, and tight end 23, what a steal. If you're taking um, one of these early tight ends, um, your, your Andrews, Pitts, uh, whatever, then you can wait till the, the low end sort of tight end 23, get John Johnson. That's that's theft, like, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I've got nothing else to say. Why is he there? <laughs> no, we, we like Juwan Johnson. I think um, he's, he's fallen to, uh, out of grace, but just because of the um, the hype amongst the younger tight ends, the rookies that have come in, there's been quite a few decent rookies that we think can project to be good dynasty assets. Um, but I think if you're especially a contender, um, Michael Mayer, Sam Laporta, they're ones that can take a couple of years to develop. We've seen that throughout the years. So you can flip them for Jawan Johnson plus, I think is a decent move for a contender. Um, he shouldn't be down there at tight end 23, that's for sure, because he's going to outperform that every single season. So we'll move on to the, the dynasty cells. So I'm um, naturally at the quarterback position. So Tom, here is your first dynasty cell. It's Aaron Rodgers. And this one kind of hits home for me because I have a team which it was truly a complete mess in dynasty this year. And one of the few marketable, marketable assets I had was Aaron Rodgers. But it was so incredibly hard early this year to try and convince anyone to give up anything of value for Aaron Rodgers, you know, you'd say, okay, well, I'd like, if I can't get a late first, I'd like an early second plus something else sprinkled on top. And people are like, oh, I'm not paying that for one year of Aaron Rodgers. And it's like, okay, but now we've got the new contract and it's so welcome for dynasty managers because it gives you your last chance to say, right, I can move on from him or you can accept that you're never going to really see any value for him and just saddle up and just much like many of us did with Tom Brady, you just hold him and hold him and just accept that his fantasy value in terms of returns might be nothing more than points. I think when you look at what Aaron Rodgers has done over the years, back when he was last an MVP in 2021 or 2022, say 2021, it all seemed to be clicking and it feels very comparable that Garrett Wilson could be that kind of Devante Adams style play. But outside of that, I don't think the Jets' pass catchers are huge upgrades on what Adam Aaron Rodgers had last year. I mean, you know, Corey Davis might be a better player than he's being given credit for right now. But then you're talking about Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb, players who weren't particularly good last year and weren't particularly relevant. You're talking about Tyler Conklin, who's a fine sort of dart throw touchdown, and CJ Zoma, who... It's frankly not a, not a great dart throw. And then obviously, Brees Hall is Brees Hall, and we know how high the ceiling can be for Brees Hall. But it's entirely possible that Aaron Rodgers just isn't going to get back to those heights that we saw him when he was the MVP. You know, last year he had zero 300 plus passing yard games. And yeah, 
I'm a fan of people who pass the ball a lot. Aaron Rodgers loves to play slow. You know, he gets to the line of scrimmage, likes to make all his pre-snap adjustments. You know, the last thing he wants to do is throw an interception. But sometimes I, I want the players who aren't afraid to throw the interceptions. Let's talk about famous Jameis from the year where he joined the 30-30 club. Like, <laughs> those players are good for fantasy. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is going to be great in New York and by far the best quarterback we've had in years. But I think now is an easy time to decide whether you want to hop off the train or not. Yeah, absolutely love this. I think Aaron Rodgers has been traded or to the Jets um, for one reason alone, and that is to win a Super Bowl. So whether um, he he throws for fifty touchdowns or he throws for twenty eight touchdowns, he, his fact that he, is that he's there to win a Super Bowl. So he's just going to be there managing the performance, um, and you've got to look at. Dalvin Cook's probably going to sign for the Jets and they're going to have a mammoth uh, running back room. So are they going to lean on that? It's going to be incredibly hard to to, to go against Dalvin Cook and, and Brees Hall. Um, and then interestingly, the guy that Aaron Rodgers keeps talking about in terms of pass catchers is Jason Brownlee, a guy that <laughs> no one's ever heard of. <laughs> he absolutely loves. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, but other than Garrett Wilson, um, it's not a spectacular room. So I don't think we're going to see the heights of, of Aaron Rodgers coming back to be MVP again. I think they're going to win a hell of a lot of games. Um, but I think it's going to be off the back of defence, running the ball um, and him managing the, the game. So um, I think it's a great time to sell because you can paint a narrative that you've got um, Garrett Wilson there ready to to be the top wide receiver in the NFL. Um, I think it's a great point to try and sell him if you're not a contender. I absolutely hate training camp. Like Jason Brownlee, like no one had ever heard of him, and then he's getting picked up in all sorts of leagues. He's, he got drafted in the start for me. I'm like, who's this dude? It just absolutely does made him. Like Justin Ross, everyone's getting back on that one this year, and they're gonna look stupid. But um, that's another story. Um, I, I mean, first of all, I love this selection because obviously you're you're a fine co-host of Fan Sanctuary, which clearly is a Jets fan, is a Aaron Rodgers true for like number one in his fan club. So um love that you've come on and put Rodgers up to sell. Uh, I have got a lot of Rodgers, but I do agree with you the fact that if you can get this price at QB 25, it's, it's opened the fire exit, I guess, to, to move off him. And um yeah, just, just things like playing slow and... Dynasty best ball you want to have boom weeks, and I can't really see boom weeks. He's not bringing anything on the ground. Yes, we know his Hall of Fame pass is so efficient. He's probably going to have five interceptions max this season, as he does every season. But yeah, if he's going 25 and 5, you'd rather him be in that 30 30 because it's, it's more fun as well. Yeah, I mean, like last year, you go back to 2021 and he had, he was 10 games where he scored 20 or more fantasy points. Last year, he had just one of them and his highest QB finish was QB9. You see a point where it's like, it's so difficult for Aaron Rodgers to compete with the dual threats in terms of getting maximizing his weekly value that what you need is basically 300 passing yards and three touchdowns minimum to try and compete with guys who are racking up 40 yards or more through their legs so I think when I think about where those 300 passing yards and three touchdowns can come from okay we can give Garrett Wilson say 100 a week if we're being optimistic and a touchdown that feels completely fine 
then you look around at the rest of it and it just doesn't feel like that's how this Jets side or Aaron Rodgers really wants to play things. Yep, all in agreement. Absolutely love it. We'll move swiftly on to the runner-back position and who's your sell here? Well, it is Najee Harris and I think, you know, Pat Kareem, the man who won $2 million playing best ball, termed it well earlier this offseason when he said, is Najee Harris even the best running back on the Steelers? <laughs> so part of this is to do with Jalen Warren um, because, you know, he made it hard to imagine Najee Harris ever getting back to the workhorse days that he had in the Ben Roethlisberger where he had like, he played 85% of his snaps that year. Last year when Jalen Warren was on the field, you know, it brought down Harris's snaps down to 66%. Warren outproduced Harris in yards per carry, 4.8 to 3.8. Yards per reception, 8.3 to 5.5. And Najee Harris blamed the lack of explosiveness on the injury and said that he felt much more explosive after he'd had the screws out of his foot or whatever, or whatever was wrong with it. But you go back and look at the splits, and he wasn't any more explosive. Like, the big runs just didn't come. He wasn't that type of player. Whereas Jalen Warren looks more explosive, you know, Najee Harris is RB14 on keep trade cut. And I just, it's not an area of the draft where I'm particularly mad about taking running backs in general. And I don't want to have that amount of draft capital in running backs who I don't think are truly elite. And I definitely don't think Najee Harris is truly elite. Yeah, I think this one was a, a predictable pick from sort of the. <laughs> Just going back a few years, knowing you over the years, Tom, and um, all the love or hate that you gave to David Montgomery um, as a volume <laughs> guy. <that's>, yes. <laughs> Non-explosive, um, getting by with touchdowns or d- a lot of, of high volume of dump-offs, but not doing a ton with it. So he's an interesting one, because I think he's going to get volume. Is he going to give you the ceiling? I, I can't see it in the offense, you know, there's, there's concerns about Kenny Pickett in my head. You've got excellent guy in Deontay Johnson who's going to be getting 150, targets. Pickens was a, a great prospect in my eyes, someone that he could be anything. He could be a mega this, this season. We, we don't know that. And obviously, Fry Moves, excellent. Even Alan Robinson's there as well, but we're not going to talk about him too much. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think running back 14... I'm kind of fine with it, but it's all about what your expectations are, what you're building. If you're expecting someone that's going to give you boom weeks, he's not the guy. And I think with the way we're seeing the current climate as well, you can probably get his production at running back 25. Agreed, Richard White. Um, But yeah, (laughs) Najee Harris, for me, I think it's building up towards what could be a really good year for Najee Harris on paper. A lot of people are saying they've upgraded their offensive line. They're bigging up Kenny Pickett for a really big year. They've been, they've got better pass catcher weapons there now. Um, so they look all set to have an improved offense. Um, and Najee Harris, if he gets, if he maintains that same volume, um, he's going to reap the rewards of that. But um, yeah, I think it was the the sleeper show we had a, a few weeks ago where Bought up Jaden Warren as a guy that I really like. As you mentioned, all their all them stats where he outperformed Najee Harris when he was on the field. I just really hope they give him more of a workload because that if they had a, a one-two punch rather than giving Najee Harris the rock, I think that'd be more efficient for their offense. Um, but we'll have to see. I, I'm not the biggest fan of Kenny Pickett. Um, I have a few question marks on this offense. So I think Najee Harris is definitely um you can try and 
build him up to be um, someone that you want to sell this off season. Because if he if he doesn't hit the heights like he he has done before, and um, what's his value going to be like this time next next off season? So I think now is going to be the peak. I think his value can only possibly go down from here. So yeah, we'll move on to your wide receiver sell. So who is it, Tom? Yeah, yeah. Speaking about players whose value is going to drop over next year, <laughs> it's uh, not going to be the most popular. But DK Metcalf, I think DK Metcalf, he's one of these players where he's not an alpha receiver, but because he's built like one, a lot of the time he gets pushed up into this category where people talk about him. So, like you know, last year he finished the season as wide receiver twenty five in half PPR points per game. Since then, the teams added Jackson Smith and Jigba, who widely was viewed as the best wide receiver in the class. And although like their styles of play are very differently, it feels entirely possible that the way that Jackson Smith and Jigba wins the ball could easily eat into what DK Metcalf gets from the from the offense as well. You know, and his his production's been on a knife edge, in my opinion, because he's never been able to separate from Tyler Lockett in terms of target share, you look at it over the last few years, it's always very close, like 1% or 2% either way. So he's never been able to draw that many targets over Tyler Lockett. And now you're talking about adding a volume hog wide receiver in Jackson Smith and Jigba. So I think it could clearly go down because Seahawks clearly want to go three wide receiver more. Shane Waldron, who's the offensive coordinator, he was with the Rams before he came over the Seahawks. And whilst he was with the Rams, they had Cooper Cup there. You know, and you're talking about one of the players who've been the most productive player out of the slot over the last few years. The Seahawks couldn't play a slot receiver there last year. These are the guys who had over 50% snap rate in the slot at various points through the season. Marquise Goodwin, Dwayne Eskridge, Penny Hart, Cade Johnson, Laquan Treadwell. They couldn't play three wide receiver set because there was no point. You were better off getting Will Disley and Noah Fan both on the field at the same time and going two wide receiver, two tight end. So now you're looking at it and saying, okay, well, they can add Jackson Smith and Jigba to it. Tyler Lockett is perennially undervalued. And I just I feel like it's going to be a year where we see DK Metcalf's targets, fantasy production, all come back. And at the minute, as wide receiver 14, you can go out, you could sell them directly for Cooper Cup, Stefan Diggs, Devante Adams, Kyler Murray, Kyle Pitts, and Tua. I take all of those players in a heartbeat over him. Yes, it's well said. He, DK Metcalf feels like a guy that should be doing better than what he is doing right now. I think, as you mentioned, he's a massive dude. I think I absolutely just love him just because of that one play against the Cardinals when he chased down, was it Buda Baker? I'm like, where's that top gear when he's when he's on offense? Um, it, it's frustrating. And as you mentioned now, with, with JSN in the building, um, and also Tyler Lockett. I mean, is Tyler Lockett... Is he going to be, leave the Seahawks at the end of this season or is he going to be there for another season? I think if DK Metcalf doesn't get, if he's not the target hog of this team or the first read, um, we're again an, another year away from that awesome, I think it was wide receiver six or seven finish he had. Um, so again, his value could slip down. And as you mentioned, if you can sell him, especially if you're a contender, sell him for Cooper Cup, Fonte Adams, blah, 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 and get a couple of years out of them, I'd take that all day long at wide receiver 14. Yeah, Metcalf, like... It just reminds me of like a trophy girlfriend, you know, he looks great with his top off, but um, <laughs> actually when you get to the, the bare facts, it, it, it's a bit disappointing in, in the end. Um, I, I think, yeah, splash plays are what gets people in on him. 
Um, that, that's what does give me a bit of concern about a guy, George Pickens, where he gets all this hype for stuff Big that doesn't, 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 yeah, it doesn't really add up on matter. Like, like Alex said, the one thing he reminds, remembers him for is chasing down a guy and, and tackling him. If that's your best career highlight as a wide receiver, you've got issues really, haven't you? So, um, yeah, he couldn't be, couldn't ever beat Tyler Lockett. JSN's coming in, a guy that as a sophomore put up 16, was it like 1600 yards or something daft with um, Shane Field with Alave and Garrett Wilson, who are both top 10 wide receivers uh, as a younger wide receiver to them. So he's, he's the real deal. It's major concern for DK Metcalf. I think this type of format, Darius Best Ball, it's it's great for Seattle wide receivers because I think there will be games where it's, it goes from a lock-in one week to a, a Jason another week. But like I say, it's great for Seattle wide receivers, just not DK. Agreed. And we'll finish the, the sales on another guy that loves himself a splash play. So, Tom, who's your, your tight end sell? Yeah, so it's George Kittle, and he's someone which I've, you know, I've taken a pretty hard stance on him. You know, I'm a couple of hundred drafts into best ball season. I think I've drafted him maybe two or three times. Like, I think it's incredibly easy to see the touchdown regression coming for George Kittle, like just like an absolute truck. Last year, he had 11 touchdowns. That was second most behind Travis Kelsey, but... You go back and look through Kittle's career, and he's like always been at about five, six touchdowns per year. <clears throat> a couple of seasons were like two touchdowns. So he's never been a prolific touchdown scorer. And then you look deeper at the 11 touchdowns that Kittle scored. Six came against the Cardinals and the Seahawks across a period of three games. Both of them, they were bottom five defenses against the position all last year. Like I write DFS matchup column through the season. And all the time, you'd start with Colin going, okay, who do the Seahawks and the Cardinals play this week? Right, let's just chuck the tight end in against them. That's the gimme layup shot. When Kittle wasn't scoring touchdowns, like he averaged 4.9 half PPR points per game. That's pretty much in line with what Juran Johnson averaged when he didn't score a touchdown. But you're getting Juran Johnson in like for a third-round pick, but you look at Kittle, and you could still go and trade Kittle for like what a late first-round pick. Kittle's on-off splits with Debo Samuel were massive. Like so, when Debo Samuel was on the field, he scored. Kittle scored nine point one four half PPR, uh, half PPR points. In the games that Debo missed, that jumped up to eighteen. And I mentioned it earlier when talking about um, you know, talking about Debo. But when Purdy was on the field with all his weapons at the same time. The target share went 30% to Samuel, 23% to CMC, 19% to Ayuk, and Kittle all the way down at 13%. That's just not going to get it done for a player that you have to invest this much in. He hit the lowest yards per route run and target per route run since his 2017 rookie season. Second lowest PFF receiving grade of his career. Like, There's plenty of reasons why you can look at Kittle and go, he could have already gone off the cliff edge. It's just the touchdowns propped him enough up that we didn't really see it last year. And if I can go out and trade him for, I don't know, like Chris Godwin or another tight end, somebody like Dallas Goddard with a little bit on top, I'd absolutely do it in a heartbeat. Yeah, Kittle's a really strange one for me because like, I think the ranking's fine. It's just where the value is for him. Like, I think he's someone that 
if you're a contender, you, you're fine having him on your team and you're just hoping really that it, it continues to touchdowns, obviously. Everyone thinks 49ers are going to be best team in the NFC like they weren't last year. Um, but, yeah, I think a lot depends on Purdy again. If, if he's going to be the main man, they're going to be in the red zone a lot. So I think there will be opportunities for him. Like I said earlier, though, like, some weeks it's going to be him, some weeks it's going to be Debo, IU, CMC, etc. So it is going to be really tough. Um, I think, again, it, I wouldn't want to have too much exposure to him because he's getting to an age where it could all go wrong really quick. Like He's going to age a lot worse than Travis Kelsey, so people shouldn't be expecting that. We're now good at block years. So, yeah, I think where I'm at on Kittle is it's... It's obviously team dependent based on his age, but also it's value based rather than rankings based. Yeah, I just think George Kittle could could end up the the odd one out as long as the the wide receivers and, and CMC stay healthy. And um, for the Niners, through the first fourteen weeks of the season, you were incredibly unhappy with with George Kittle on a weekly basis. Um, and then he had seven touchdowns in the final four games, so. So it's a story of, of of two halves, and you only you've only got four really decent games out of him, albeit with Brock Purdy. So it'd be interesting to see how they start the season. But at tight end five, you're probably looking for someone who's going to consistently score, um, score you decent points week in week out, and not let you down. Um, where George Kittle could do can can win you a week, but if he did, if he's not scoring them touchdowns, and Debo and Ayuk are on fire and CMC, you're getting the the volume. George Kittle is going to let you down on a on a weekly basis. So with that, we'll move on to the fantasy wildcard section selection. So um, we're now going to come on to uh, the wildcard selection where we get Tom to pick our his fantasy wildcards, the player that will improve their dynasty value the most in 2023. So there was plenty of players that you couldn't pick from Tom, but who is the who's the player that you're going to select this season? Yeah, and it just speaks to the caliber of guests that you guys get onto this show because uh, open this up, I was like, okay feel like I'll probably be able to pick one of my kind of favourites, one of my real, my guys this year. You look through and go, okay, well, Chris Olave, Drake London, Rashad Bateman, Jerry Judy are all gone. What about Trey McBride? Gone. And then, like, Antonio Gibson, I could have made a case for him. Even sort of like, yeah, Deontay Johnson, who also was taken. So the guy who I ended up landing on, is Nico Collins, who's available for a late second. You know, you probably package up even some later picks from that to get him. But I think there's plenty of reason for optimism. I'm quite kind of sneaky high on this Texans team in general. I think the offensive line is going to be a real strength this year. You know, they've paid both their tackles this year, and they're two very good tackles. So that should give CJ Stroud plenty of time to operate from the pocket. And what we saw from Nico Collins last year, you know, he went from a 13% team target share in 2021 to 19% last year, and he had six games where he had even over 22%. You know, there was he was tied for six in total targets for wide receivers between, uh, I think it was between like week 10 to week 13 when he was really getting it done. He finished second in contested catch rate last year. He had 36 targets in his last four games with two touchdowns. It just seemed like... Things had moved away from Brandon Cooks, who we know had a difficult season because he was like unhappy with things in Texas anyway. But it just felt like Nico Collins was just a far more productive, far more electric player. And now you give him CJ Stroud, who, yes, we don't 
think possibly that he can ever have necessarily truly elite ceiling. But you look at what Nico Collins has had over the last two years, and it's been pretty miserable with Davis Mills. And I just I have enough faith in Nico Collins. You know, I know Matt Harmon's really thinks he can have a good season. He has a 70% win rate against man coverage, which is really good. So, yeah, I think when you look at players when we're specifically talking about how much their value can increase, I wouldn't be surprised to see Nico Collins go from being available for like the 212 to being available for like the 202, the 21 by the time we talk next year. Yeah, I like this pick. I like a guy where we're selecting it a bit a bit deeper, and I think there's certainly progression for him to to move up. I know that I'm. I like CJ Stroud. He's still my, my rookie white, uh, quarterback too. Um, I, I really like the offensive line, as you mentioned there. I think that a lot of people could be surprised at how good CJ Stroud can be on the, on the Texans. A lot of people really hate that landing spot, but um, I, I really quite like it. And, and Nico Collins. The, re- the reports are that CJ Stroud is targeting him really often. He, he seems to be the favourite target. We're just looking for one guy to come to come out of this Texans room who I think can improve um, his value in Dynasty. And it could it could well be Nico Collins. He'd be the guy that I'd say would be the early favourite. Um, there's two or three others, but none of them are big standouts. Um, let's see what Nico Collins to do. I really like this. I can um, with a half decent season, I can see him being wide receiver 40 next year. And as you mentioned, Tom probably valued as, as an early to mid second round pick. Yeah, I mean, if you'd have spoke to us three, four weeks ago and said, right, two of your three next wildcard selections are going to be Texans wide receivers, I'd have been like, whoa, that's pretty crazy. Um, obviously, I've met you a couple of weeks back with, uh, with uh, Jordan um, and then we've got Nico Collins today. So a fun little battle between you guys to which one comes out on top there. But I think there's a lot of things like you both mentioned that play into his favour, the fact that he's ranked so low, he's at a position where um, it's a wide open wide receiver room, it's a team where people see the HOU next to the name and they think, ah, oh, the trash so um, <laughs> that's going to that's gonna change in time CJ Stroud, he's an excellent prospect um, well regarded he's, he's going to be way better than uh, Davis Mills um, so you, you can paint a picture where someone's going to emerge. I really like Nico Collins, the prospect coming out. The fact that um, he had the size, the speed, he, he'd done a, a few bits in college that really impressed me. So, yeah, Nico Collins season, I, I can definitely see it. He's got to get past Dalton Schultz, who was a, an old favourite of mine many years ago, but he's actually terrible. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I think volume-wise, he shouldn't have too much of an issue getting those targets from Schultz. But, yeah. If he does emerge as a wide receiver one for for CJ Stroud, who real life's going to be excellent, I think. Then, yeah, I can see this working out really well for you, Tom. Yeah, love the pick. All in agreement. Um, let Let's see how it it plays out for this season. So, with that, that brings us to the end of tonight's show, um, where we've discussed all things Dynasty Best Ball and got Tom's fantasy wildcard but before we go if if you are watching on youtube just check out tom's trophy behind him it is a it is a stunning thing um and he did actually beat kevin in the final of that that competition so i had to just get that in there (laughs) jesus knife to the back (laughs) 
But yeah, before you go, Tom, uh, please remind the audience where they can find you and is there anything you'd like to plug? Yeah, I mean, you can find me on Twitter at NFL underscore T-Strack. All my writing work currently is at Fantasy Pros. You can find us on YouTube at The Fantasy Sanctuary. You know, we cover DFS, we cover Dynasty, Best Ball, Redraft, kind of, I think we're up to something like 320 videos we've put out since the beginning of January. So it's just kind of try to make sure there's something for everyone there and you know please say that we've had all you guys on at different points this off season and just looking forward to the season starting so thanks for having me on no absolutely love having you on tom you're an absolute legend of, of the uk scene um you've got your fingers in many pies right now and the the fantasy sanctuary is is incredible go check out all the videos because it's it's such a wide range and from best ball to, to dynasty and all sorts of stuff on this absolutely brilliant so Cheers for coming on. And is there any final thoughts from you, Kev? Yeah, I think I just heard a few people rushing to get on uh, on T-Strack's Twitter and following <laughs> Fan Sanctuary, etc. Um, no, just thanks for coming on, Tom. It's, uh, it was a huge disappointment. I wasn't on last year because I had COVID. So, um, yeah, to, to spend time chatting with you, it's always one of my highlights of the off-season. Um, you talk a lot of sense, you're logical. Um, one of, one of the best in the community, actually, especially when it comes to best ball. So um, I'm sure the audience will have got a ton from this, um, as I do in, in every one of our interactions. Um, so, yeah, thanks for coming on. It's been a pleasure as always. Our friendship continues to grow. Yeah, well, you know, the feeling's mutual. You know, I've got a lot of respect for you guys. And I wouldn't have found my way into this without coming across the old first iteration of your podcast, Kev. So a lot of time for you guys always. Love it. And with that, Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to follow us and subscribe on X or Twitter and and YouTube at Fantasy Wildcard and at Wildcard Dynasty. And join us for every show uh, every Wednesday via the podcast on X slash Twitter and YouTube. So thank you once again. Have a good one. And we'll see you again soon. When you have the wild card, you have the power to change the game.